Children fear monsters. Creatures of the night they imagine hiding under beds, lurking in closets. But as we grow older, we learn evil doesn't announce itself with a mask or a costume. That the deepest, most dangerous terrors are those not disguised, but those hidden in plain sight. That was the voice of reporter Carl Kolchak in the episode known as Malum, originally aired on October 27, 2005. This was, ooh, this was a spooky one, just in time for Halloween. I'm your host, Mike White, and joining me, of course, is my co-host supreme, Mr. Chris Sashu. Oof. That's all I'm going to say is, oof. This episode... This episode was directed by Darren Serafian and written by Adam Armas and Nora K. Foster, going as K. Foster, a writing team who have worked on a ton of stuff. Yeah, like that super awesome Heroes Reborn. This episode is the most indefensible piece of shit I have watched in regards to this Night Stalker reboot. This is the reason this Night Stalker reboot is so poorly regarded. This episode. It's like a prime example. This is the epitome of when you talk about bad episodes of Night Stalker 2005. You can point to this and say, if you want a bad episode, you just go right to this. I mean, here we have been kind of bending over backwards to defend Night Stalker 2005. And then I don't even think we've been bending over backwards. Like, it's not a bad show. But this is a bad episode, that's for sure. This is worse than any episode of the original show that is bad. This is worse than any of the, the this is worse than any of the worst episodes I've watched so far. And it's such a shame because you've got Tony Todd and Paul Dillon in this, and I love both of those guys. But my goodness, Tony Todd is completely wasted in this. All he does is sit in a room and telegraph what just happened and what's about to happen. Who gives a shit? His character isn't even given a name. He is just detective. That alone should be enough for you to realize how atrocious this episode is. That they have Tony Todd as a player in this episode, and they don't even go out of their way to give him a name. He's just detective. This feels like a first-year writing student's assignment. Just the way that the episode is set up. I mean, it feels like something that J.J. Abrams probably wrote out when he was like 10 years old and threw it away. Oh, we're going to start in the middle of the mystery, then we're going to go back in time, and we're going to carry on from there, and we're going to have this detective interviewing people and kind of doing this... Citizen Kane-esque kind of thing where we get all of these different perspectives and go through and try to piece together this case. And who gives a shit? It's like within the first few minutes, you know exactly what's going to happen in this. If you have half a brain in your head, you know everything that's going to happen. Even someone with half a brain would have checked out five minutes into this episode anyways. This episode is beyond boring. It is dry and flat, and it doesn't have enough cold check, which is not an issue that the show has had up until this point for the most part. It doesn't even have Vincenzo. It name drops him. It's a bottle episode, kind of, but not really, but sort of. And then, you I mean, you even have someone like Frederick Lena, who is great in pretty much everything I've seen him in, again, completely wasted, given a flat character. I just don't get it. I, I, don't, I just don't even... I can't begin to 
surmise what they were trying to do other than we're being clever and telling an episode end media rest, which that's fine. But if you're going to do end media rest, at least have a story worth telling. So let's talk about the story a little bit. It starts off as the story of a kid who's being bullied at school and there's another kid who protects him. And we are introduced fairly quickly to this bullied kid's father, though it's fairly obvious that he's not actually the kid's father. And that is the character being played by Paul Dillon as Ezekiel Seaver. Uh, quite a great handle there. At least he's got a name. Then we have a character who gets hit by lightning and... Then a character who gets decapitated by a ceiling fan, which, by the way, that is not how that works. That's not even how that works in Indiana Jones, let alone in this movie, where it decapitates someone. It's a wooden fan. I can reach up right now and stop the fan that's over my head, and I wouldn't worry about my fingers. Uh, you should, because if we're using Kolchak logic, sir. My whole hand's going to get cut off. Yeah, it just completely just taken right off at the wrist. It's absurd. It's absurd in a way that feels like they think the audience is stupid. Well, as soon as the Picton kid starts saying, you've got a really nice dad to the kid who's defending him, then you're like, okay. I know what's going on here. It's not that you want to, that your stepfather is doing all these horrible things to you. It is that you are a monster and you want to take this kid's place. You want to be the changeling basically and take over this kid's life. And you've probably done that a few times before. And I know this by literally five minutes into the episode, so what's keeping me on the edge of my seat? Nothing. Nothing at all. And that's that's the episode's biggest downfall is it doesn't even matter. None of this matters. It's so lacking in stakes and lacking in interest and lacking in an interesting story to tell that five minutes into the episode, you don't even care. It just doesn't matter. I tell you, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. This is the first time we get the Scooby gang together. So we have Alex Nyby, we've got Jane McManus, we've got Perry Reed and Carl Kolchak all together. We don't have Mr. Bloodhound. As you said, Tony Vincenzo is not even in this episode. They mention him. Right. And they've got the four of these guys, and we've got this kind of good dynamic going on between them. But they're given the most uninteresting case to pursue and then that they break it up with these interviews where tony todd is this detective unnamed detective as you said just interviewing these people and trying to pin all the crimes onto kolchak for whatever reason no reason whatsoever actually given as to why detective has it out for kolchak but okay we don't even bring in Kolchak's history. And that's the thing. It could have been a character that had a reason to hate Kolchak. And I'm convinced that it's Tony Todd for the sole reason of Tony Todd's amazing voice. Right? And like, oh, everyone's always like, well, Morgan Freeman's got one of the best voices. No. Tony Todd has a, a just an amazing, it stops you in your tracks. Tony Todd, Jeffrey Wright, two of the best voices working in Hollywood right now. And they just stop you in their tracks. And both for different reasons. It's like liquid velvet. 
it's an absolute disappointment that he's wasted in this episode. And Paul Dillon, he is a great character actor. I've loved him in everything that I've ever seen him in. He used to be great on The Pretender. He He's great even when he shows up for like five minutes in Fight Club. You know, he just has one of those faces and he can really play a great squirrely kind of guy. And I was like, give this guy something to work with, especially that he could be the most interesting character in here where we think that he's the killer. Or we're supposed to think that he's the killer. And then he ends up not being the killer. But I really wanted – he comes from like a religious background and he took this kid in when this kid was uh, uh, orphaned. So I was just like, oh, cool. You know, He's going to be like really like hellfire and brimstone kind of a guy. He's nothing. He's nothing. No, it's again, it's just a, it's a just, this episode should just be called Waste of the Character Actors, the episode. Hey, and you know, Tony Todd, he was in a fantastic episode of the X Files, and that's kind of why I feel like he was in this. Spotnitz is like, well, he was in a, a pretty good episode of the X Files in season two. Let's utilize him in, in another show, because he's a great character actor. I mean, Tony Todd is a fantastic character actor. Most everybody in this episode that is brought in to be a player in the, in this episode only, is a fantastic character. You got Tony Todd, like you already mentioned. You have uh, Paul Dillon. You have Frederick Lane as he's billed in this episode. The yellow-eyed demon from Supernatural. That's what I know him as. Yep, Azazel. Uh, yeah, Azazel. Man, remember how Supernatural is still going 13 seasons later? And like, that's not even a thing that... There are children who are watching the show now that don't even know that that's a thing from the show. But you've got all these great character actors, and they're just... They're given nothing to do. They sit behind a desk most of the episode. And Frederick Lane, he is another cop, but it doesn't seem like they ever really play into that very much. Well, he's called Mr. Carver. They don't even call him Detective Carver. He's just Mr. Carver. That's just weird. It's an episode that, again, like I said, it's an indefensible piece of shit. It's just – it is. It's, this is why this show is – dumped upon constantly by fans of the original show. And to be perfectly honest, if I were to only watch one episode of this show, if I only caught one episode of this reboot on TV and it was this episode, the show completely deserves it. This episode is awful. And then at the end, it's trying to be kind of clever with the twist that isn't much of a twist. I get that you're trying to do something creative with the storytelling, but it doesn't work. Even those weird things like, the name of the episode is Malum, and we have the kid carving Malum into this tree at the beginning of the episode. And then there's that weird thing where he he quit writing after M-A-L, and Jane looks at it and is like, oh, my, or whatever. And it's like, uh, no. They're trying to obfuscate stuff when they really just shouldn't. I just don't know what else there is to say about this episode. I what we've been talking for ten minutes, but there's really not a whole lot more here because it's this is completely without depth. It is, and that's it's unfortunate because again, this show only had what ten, thirteen episodes. But how many episodes does this show have in total? Ten. Yeah, ten episodes, right? And We're this halfway is through. the halfway point. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit! This is awful. Like this is this is just absolute shit. Just garbage of the highest order. No offense to anyone involved. You, I mean, it's not any of the actors' faults, that's for sure. No. It's the writing team. And, and they've gone on to write other stuff that's been way better. I mean, they're producers on the, the Goldbergs. That show, from all I've heard, is good. I mean, they were producers on Quantico. That show, I think, got canceled, but it ran for two or three seasons. 
Heroes Reborn, not so much, but whatever. They worked on four of my favorite shows from the early, sorry, from the late 90s, early 2000s. They worked on Hercules, Xena, Cleopatra 2525, and Jack of All Trades. Those are some of my favorite things. But, yeah, they haven't done me right lately. And then they would go on to become supervising producers on the show. I don't know what they were going for, but what they were going for, not successful at all. And it's, again, it's a shame because with as few episodes as this show has, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like that the thing we talked about a couple times already where with a show like The X-Files or Supernatural, where it's got 23 episodes per season, you're going to expect that it's going to be, you know, law of averages would say, you know, about 50% of them are good. The other 50% are middling to to bad. Maybe 25% are middling and then the other 25% are bad. But that's because of the, the breadth of episodes. With this, you would hope that more than 50% of the episodes are good. Just because you would hope people aren't writing terrible TV. And right now, it's less than half. I think there's been like two good episodes that we've seen of this show so far. So... I just I don't know. I just it's a bummer. It's just this is such a bad episode that there's nothing to say. Well, I'm going to do something radical and I'm going to suggest that we actually take a break and come back and talk about the energy eater and make this a two for one episode. You know what? Let's do it because I, I got to tell you, I don't think we're going to have anything nice to say about the energy eater either. I would be pissed if I downloaded an episode of the show and it was only 10, 15 minutes long. So it's an Instacast, bro. <laughs> I, I listen to a Westworld podcast, and they're like, this is Instacast. These are instant thoughts. Like, okay, fuck you. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will talk about the energy eater from the Night Stalker. Evil hides, not just in darkness and shadows, but in lies and deceit. Abusing kindness, trust, compassion, and turning the good against themselves so that the most kind-hearted fail to recognize the danger until it's too late. monuments to man's achievement, his artistic aspirations, his quest for the truth, his respect for the law. Now a different sort of monument. There is a theory that dying institutions erect their own mausoleums before they die. This particular monument was to be a hospital and a research center, dedicated to extending the life of man, improving the quality of that life. It succeeded instead in introducing a new horror, a new way of death, a mystery. I became involved just after the hospital's completion, covering the dedication. The building construction had been a little rocky. Two Indian high steel workers had fallen off the top floors, but that was quickly forgotten and never explained. No matter, now it was dedication time and everything was roses. It was all I could do to stay awake. 
That was the voice of reporter Carl Kolchak in the episode known as The Energy Eater, originally aired December 13th, 1974, directed by our friend Alex Grassoff, who did the episode Bad Medicine. And this one was a teleplay by Arthur Rowe and Rudolph Boscher, Boschert. And I have to say that uh, there was also Robert Earl was on the screenplay. The screenplay, kind of weird for this one, I will tell you, Chris, because first off, it's called Machi Manido. Uh, it's not called Which the they mentioned. Eater. Yes. Well, th- but that's I guess that's the technical term of the energy eater. They say it several times in the episode. This was originally written October 14th, 1974, and then there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine revisions to it, which is not that good of a sign. And then rather than it actually being credited to somebody, it says participating writers, Arthur Rowe, Robert Earl, and Rudolf Borcher. So nobody's really putting their name on the screenplay, which is also not necessarily a good thing. Can you blame them? I think I like this one more than you do. Should we talk yeah. about the episode first and then we can break it down a little bit afterwards? Yeah, no. Yeah, go go for it. I think you do like it more than I did because I walked away from this episode going, man, what a just a goofy episode. Well, don't forget that I had just watched Malum when you had just watched The Energy Eater. So this was a breath of fresh air compared to Malum. But there's a reason we're doing Malum and Energy Eater in the same episode, because neither one of them are very good. And neither one of them leave much for us to talk about. Because, again, this is another Invisible Monster episode. It's astounding that they've done two of these now, right? I mean, oh my god, do it once, fine. Do it twice? Guys, I get that the show was on like a shoestring budget, but come on. Carl Kolchak goes to the local hospital for an opening, which I guess is a newsworthy event. He's there covering it probably more PR purposes than anything. And he ends up finding that there is a problem with the hospital when he goes down into the sub-basement. There's a, um, it's really warm down there, and there are cracks all throughout the walls. And this really concerns him. I think more than anything, he's concerned because he kind of wants to take this hospital to task because they're putting on this big dog and pony show, and yet their hospital seems like it's kind of crappy. Between the heat, the elevator goes out at one point, and then we have these big cracks, and then there's a little bit of a fire that happens, so... They're trying to cover something up, and of course, Carl's instincts go off, and he decides that he has to investigate this. And rather than turn in a story about the hospital opening, he has Miss Emily write a story for him, and it's all about how old people are basically getting the shaft these days, and there's this whole thing where it's kind of a nice little interchange between Miss Emily and Vincenzo back at the office where they're talking about gray power and old people trying to you know get their rights and everything. I mean, that was the best part of the episode. It is the best part of the episode. That and any time William Smith is on screen, who is just like total player. He's he's like, and and it's believable. It's believable that he's like a total ladies man, kind of like a ne'er do wellish kind of. I'll wear a suit during the day, but at night I'm I've got a glass of whiskey and I've got I'm entertaining all sorts of women younger and older than me. Hell yes, William Smith is 
fucking amazing. He's almost enough to save this episode. He's got that rock and mullet. It works. It totally works in the scope of this episode. And here we have another white person playing an Indian, which is great. <laughs> well, he, 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 he knows their language, okay? And I do like the nice, what do you mean, we white man door slam in Carl's face line. I was very happy about that. As he was saying white man, I was saying it here watching it on television. So it's like, all right, good. I'm glad that they got that in there. As we mentioned, William Smith is in this episode. He plays a uh, he's kind of like the leader of like the, the foreman right yeah because there have been some mysterious deaths that happened before the hospital was completely built and it was these and i don't know if people remember this or know this but they used to hire uh cliff dwelling native americans to work on skyscrapers uh, because they had no fear of heights and also because they were cheap labor and if they died so what it's just a couple of indians is this a real thing yes oh yeah so like i was watching this episode i was like this is a little odd that they're like it's all these native americans i was like is this real good to know it's real good to know and yeah, William Smith is the foreman and uh, also kind of like the tribal leader, though he went to college and he got a degree in something else, but it really doesn't pay nearly as well as working this construction job. And also, yeah, he gets to hang out in his little trailer and mac on chicks via the phone. Um, and that's how we're introduced to him, which is a really nice introduction. And the way that he also completely screws up Carl's name in this. And he doesn't, he doesn't script the cold check nearly as much he screws up the Carl and starts calling him Charlie <laughs> throughout a lot of this stuff. And Carl immediately knows his weakness. So when he's trying to get more information out of William Smith, he ends up bringing this uh, fairly attractive lady from the hospital with him and uses her as bait to find out more about uh, Machi Minoto. So who is the bear God who Carl finally kind of figures out is uh they're terrorizing the the hospital i thought he was just an x-ray eye that's what i thought he was i thought it was the x-ray eye god i actually kind of like that part when he exposes all the x-rays and then he then carl and william smith work together and tape all the exposed x-rays together and they just get this big x-ray and it's just an eyeball i was like oh that's kind of cool it was just i was just waiting for richard dreyfus to come on screen and be like this means something it's kind of clever, but at the same time, it's so hokey. It would have been better if that last photo, because there's a little bit of conflict between Carl and Vincenzo about Carl wasting 40 whole dollars on this special film. And Carl gets a photograph of Machi Minoto, and it's the exact same photo that we saw earlier. I, it's the same freaking eyeball. So that was a little disappointing. Like I mentioned, like I called this episode out for, it's... It's another Invisible Monster episode, but it's the second Native American monster episode and first one way better. I mean, the first one was Bad Medicine, Richard Keel. I mean, one of the best episodes we've watched so far. And then you have this episode, which is just again, it's an invisible monster. And I just I can't wrap my head around it. Why they would do it twice. The thing that gets me the biggest missed opportunity with this is the B story with Vincenzo and Vincenzo 
gets really mad at Carl about not covering stuff. And he decides that he's going to go out and cover a story and show Carl how it's done. Show everybody in the newsroom how it's done. And then they drop it. They drop it like it's hot. And it's like, wait, no, I want then the next scene for Vincenzo to be, you know, completely run down or he got mugged when he was out on the street or something happens with that. Like I wanted like a little subplot of Vincenzo working on the story and we just get like the check in at the office kind of thing. We don't even need to get Vincenzo out on the streets doing anything. I just need to get follow up on that and have him either be one that was way easier than it, you know, than you make it out to be Kolchak or two he gets completely humiliated and still won't admit that it's a difficult job, but you know, that there is a little comeuppance for him saying how easy this thing is. Cause he talks about like, Oh, I've been a cry. What, what, he said something in the episode that doesn't make any sense though, because he says like that he's been covering stuff in Chicago since what, 1920 something or other. And I was like, well, what about all those years that you were working in the Las Vegas paper? continuity sir you're expecting too much from a show that that doesn't worry about those kinds of things for real though the other thing we should be talking about is the fact that they miss an opportunity to have vincenzo out in the field with carl that's the real missed opportunity in this episode is if you're gonna have vincenzo going out and doing his own reporting why not just have him tag along with carl for once that's that's like what i've been wanting this whole show is for the two of them to be out in the field together we're halfway through the show now and it hasn't happened so i don't have high hopes no, if that actually happens, I will be pretty shocked. But speaking of that, considering how this episode falls on not only halfway through the Night Stalker 2006, it also falls on the halfway point, just synchronicity, of the original Kolchak, the Night Stalker. If we're sitting here at the halfway point of both shows, kind of what is your biggest takeaway right now sitting halfway in between both shows? What's your biggest takeaway from both shows respectively? I think the shows live and die by the strength of the monster, even more than the chemistry of the characters. I mean, that is very important because I still consider the Carl Kolchak of 2005 to be pretty much a sleepwalker. Just Stuart Townsend exhibits no charisma, whereas Darren McGavin has buckets of charisma. So even if it's a a less than stellar monster, at least you have Darren McGavin to watch. If it's a less than stellar monster in 2005, you got nothing to watch. Like you got Gabrielle Union. She's really beautiful, but that's about it. I mean, that is kind of the overarching takeaway for both shows is they do live and die by the monster of the week. I would say my takeaway from the 2005 Kolchak, after listening to and reading a lot of the vitriol towards it, uh, is that it's not as bad as people remember it. People didn't give it a chance, obviously, for various reasons. They're slightly warranted in that, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it, it is inferior to Kolchak the Night Stalker. But at the same time... It's it's a different animal. It really is. That notwithstanding, it's not as bad as I think I remembered it and I kind of perceived it to be. But the original Kolchak, I think a lot of the love for it does stem from nostalgia. I, I watched this when I was a kid or this scared me when I was a kid or I watched this with my parents when I was a teenager. A lot of the love and kind of fond remembrance for the original show is nostalgia driven. 
because a lot of these, I mean, like, uh, not a lot, but about half of the episodes we watched have been middling to bad. And, and, and again, I mean, I completely understand the nostalgia factor, but there are just some episodes of the show that just aren't very good. This episode being one of them and nothing so far has lived up to the Night Stalker movie. That's still the best thing I've seen this entire time. We've been doing this podcast is the original Night Stalker without a doubt. It's always great to see the character actors in here. And that's what we talked about a lot with the Malum uh, episode was the character actors. And we heaped a bunch of praise onto William Smith and I feel so bad because Michael Strong, I usually really like him. He was basically like the the hospital administrator slash detective slash police chief type character. Like, you know, the, we didn't necessarily have Carl going against the police too much in this episode. But Michael Strong's in this one. I don't know what it was, but for some reason, he reminded me of Dick Van Dyke's brother, Jerry, while I was watching this. And I like Michael Strong a lot. I just didn't necessarily recognize him as Michael Strong. He he plays, he's in Point Blank as Stegman. One of my favorite films is Point Blank. And he's been in a ton of other things. And he's just kind of like not really fully engaged in this. I think he could have been a better antagonist to Carl, though Carl, I guess his real antagonist is the Machi Minoto character. So, and I know I'm saying that wrong. It's like Machi Manito, I believe, but they screwed up throughout the episode. So I'm okay with that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's another thing. Don't let's not bring up the fact that they said it like three different ways in the episode. Don't look at the man behind the curtain, that type thing. It's just, Let's just, let's just ignore it. Let's ignore the fact that they don't even know how to say it right. So The way that I saw it spelled out was all one word with an E in the middle of it. And then I've seen it. But now I've seen it split apart. And the last word is M-A-N-I-T-O-U. And there's actually a horror movie called, and I, I used to pronounce it because I never saw the movie. And I just saw the box cover of it at Blockbuster. Was I thought it was pronounced Manitow. So I was like, oh. Now I know that Manitow is a spirit and it might actually drive me to watch that movie now that I know what the hell it's about. Because if you just see that on a box cover, Manitow, it's just like, what the fuck is this? Not a good episode of the show is what it is. I think it's unfortunate, but not surprising if it's an invisible monster that it's not going to be great. Uh, It would have been nice to even just get some bear claw scratches or something rather than just the floor shaking and breaking apart it doesn't necessarily feel like they're in danger the real danger for me seems to come from them trying to cool down the whole building and put Machi Minoto back in hibernation I thought Carl was a dead man at the end when they're pumping all those chemicals into the building to, and they do talk about him getting frostbite but it looked like Carl was down for the count in that one yeah but you know he's he's got to come back he's got to come back for horror in the heights so yeah that will be our next episode I'm very curious how they get a Hindu god in a Jewish neighborhood so that should be interesting well it's cool check so they'll, they'll figure out a way that's for sure well, Chris, what is going on over at the Culture Cast these days? Uh, well, we just wrapped up Black Exploitation Month, where we watched all sorts of black exploitation films that I had never seen before. But it was good to get outside of our comfort zone and watch some films that have very clearly influenced a lot of really big name directors: Cough, Cough, Quentin Tarantino, 
when when I say influence in Quentin Tarantino's regard, I mean ripped off. I wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah, right. Continue to pile on Quentin Tarantino, but it's fine. He he's probably into it. So, but yeah, we just wrapped up Black Exploitation Month, so that's that's what we're doing over at the Culture Cast. And the real question is, what are you up to over at the Projection Booth? Well, no themes this month for us. Um, we are just kind of cleaning the house a little bit, uh, doing episodes on things like uh, Jerry Schatzberg's Scarecrow, Joseph Losey's Figures in a Landscape, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo, and Michael Haneke's The Piano Teacher. So this is our first Haneke uh, episode. So I'm, you know, it's sure to be. Just a fun-loving, rip-roaring, feel-good movie. Yeah, right. And you're going to be on that episode. Yeah, I, I am. I'll be there. Have you watched the movie yet? No, I haven't. Oh, you are in for a treat, my friend. Oh, God. Bring plenty of Kleenex. Anytime I'm on the projection booth, I can always anticipate that I'm going to be watching something that I've never seen before and will probably put me far outside my comfort zone. Do not watch this with your wife. You know, Mike, my wife doesn't watch movies that you suggest anymore. <laughs> After Japanese New Wave Month, she she checked out. Anytime I'm like, oh, yeah, the Mike, that Mike White guy suggested this movie. She goes, yeah, no, I'm not watching it. That's all you, pal. Japanese New Wave was rough. That was a rough month for just like a for a casual film watcher. That's a rough month to be just kind of a bystander. I've gotten more compliments on the Japanese New Wave Month than I have on my own show. So I hope that makes you feel good. It's probably because you were on all those podcasts. So you can find out more about the Culture Cast over at, what, cultureshocked.com with a K? Slash Culture Cast and all Apple and Android podcatchers along with on the Spreaker app. And you can find out about the Projection Booth over at ProBooth. Projectionbooth.com or theprojectionbooth.blogspot.com. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I got it right that time. Very nice. And I want to thank John Walker for doing the theme music to our show. And you can find out more about him over via our website, www.coldchacktapes.com. And come back next week when we will be talking about Horror in the Heights. That's Horror oh, in the Heights. Horror in the Heights. Lakefront Hospital won't be up much longer. It's coming down to make room for a new marina, one with deep channels of icy lake water. Dr. Ralph Carey has gone back to private practice from the safety and comfort of an office in his own home, I hear. Walter Green, construction Wunderkind, has another project going for him. His company is building the new Lakefront Marina. Some people can make a profit on anything. Thank you.